0: Hey all Jesse here. We're getting near the end of the year. I wanted to thank you for listening to Bullseye. Making our show isn't easy. We've got a very small staff that works tirelessly to book guests and edit interviews and keep things running smoothly. It is hard work that takes time, money, and effort. It's also incredibly rewarding. When I hear that a guest is an NPR listener already, it means a lot. And it means something to know that you're listening as well. So I'll get to the point. If you want to show your gratitude this holiday season, consider supporting the NPR member station in your area. Any amount. It's the single most effective way to keep shows like Bullseye going. It'll make a huge difference to public radio in your community. It makes a huge difference to us, too. To get started with your donation to an NPR member station, visit donate.npr.org bullseye or just text the word bullseye to the number 49648. We'll send you a text message with a link where you can find your local station and make your contribution. Message and data rates may apply. You can visit npr.org slash SMS terms for privacy and text message terms.
1: Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.
0: I'm Jesse Thorne. It's Bullseye. We're looking back on past bullseye casts we lost in 2019. First up, my conversation from 2014 with Carol Spinney. He died this past December at his home in Connecticut. He was 85. Carol was, of course, the puppeteer and voice behind Big Bird. He also played Oscar the Grouch. If you're an American under 50 or so, you probably grew up with Big Bird. And in a way, you grew up as Big Bird. Because Big Bird isn't just Sesame Street's most popular character. He is the avatar of the children who watch. He's physically huge, but inside, he's a three- or four-year-old kid, working to understand the world around him, just like you, while you watch.
1: Hi, Ari. Oh, hi, Big Bird. Um, what you doing? Oh, reading. How can you read? You're, you're blind. I use my fingers. Well, I can't seem to read my book with my fingers. Oh, well, you got the wrong kind of book. Yeah, you see those those little bumps down there on the page? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're sticking up on the page. Yeah. Well, that's called Braille.
0: For the longest time, the literal person you'd watch inside that huge ball of feathers was Carol Spinney. When I talked with him, he was 80, and he was still playing Big Bird. In fact, he kept playing the role until 2018. When filmmaker Dave LaMettina met Spinney, he was struck at the depth of the relationship between the man and the bird, how much this iconic character drew from the life of this remarkable performer. So he asked Spinney if he could make a documentary. The result, a beautiful film called I Am Big Bird. Anyway, here's my interview with Dave LaMattina and the late Carol Spinney. Uh, Dave, Carol, welcome to Bullseye. It's great to have
2: you on the show. Thank you, Jess. Thank you for having us.
0: So, Carol, you talk about this a little bit in the book, but you have been a puppeteer basically since always. Yeah, that's about as long.
1: (laughs) I was uh, eight. At five, I saw my first puppet show, and I couldn't wait to have a chance to try to do it myself.
0: Do you remember the first puppet that you had or made? It
1: was a monkey. A little monkey. I can't imagine what kind of a show I've given with only one real puppet and a stuffed green flannel snake. <laughs> Must have been terrible.
0: <laughs> Did you get anybody to come? Did yeah, your folks come? Yeah, sixteen people came. Sixteen. Yeah. That's not a bad. That's not a yeah. bad haul. Mothers
1: Carol. and kids and stuff. I put an ad in a little local post office, and uh, people came. I was surprised.
0: When you went into the service, how old were you? I was nineteen. And that was basically the the very early years of television, right? Yes, it was only six years old about that time because it really started around nineteen forty seven. And you you did some television in while you
1: were in the service? Yes, I was stationed in Las Vegas. I was in the Air Force, Nellis Air Force Base, and uh, I I had my mother ship out puppets. I'd been doing puppet shows at birthday parties and things like that to earn money to go through art school because my father wasn't empathetic about me going to school. He didn't. Had never. He didn't even finish high school because they were very poor, and he wanted me to be go work to, at his factory, and uh, I would run a machine for. It's, he said that way you won't starve to death, but I didn't think I was going to starve to death being an artist, and uh, but but I couldn't. Uh, jobs paid so little, uh,
0: so I was able to put myself through a great deal of the expense by doing puppet shows. You know, you you later worked in Boston, right? Yes. When you thought about what a better job was than doing local children's television um, in Boston or Las Vegas, did it did that mean getting paid more or did it mean doing a different kind of work?
1: Well, I wanted to have – do something that had a little more meaning. It was f- great fun working with uh, the guy who played Bozo, Frank A. Bruch. He's still a friend. He's even in the movie we were going to be dis- discussing. And uh, it was – Really wonderful to be on that show, and so much fun to do it. I made it up as we went along, and but I realized it wasn't very important. It's just just froth, eye candy for it, with kid commercials in there. So, uh, but to get on a show like Sesame Street, I had no idea what I was going for. So I, I I created a really fancy puppet show, and went to a puppet festival with it. And Jim Henson was there scouting. Lucky for me, I was in the right place at the right time
0: well while we're talking about origin stories i want to bring you dave limitina into the conversation you directed this film about carol's life and work and i wonder how you got to know carol
2: you know in in some ways it was dumb luck um i wanted to always work in family entertainment and the premier destination for that of course is sesame street and so in 2005 i interned at sesame workshop just in home video i never met carol Um, and I didn't know who he was until I was talking to a friend about how much I love the internship. And she said, Oh, I'm, I'm related to Carol Spinney. And I said, I don't know who that is. And so she told me these amazing stories about Carol and how he had been big bird in Oscar since 1969. Um, and I immediately ran back and told my directing partner, uh, who I directed the film with Chad Walker about it. And we said, man, we got, we got to make a film about this. And so, um, I called the one person I still knew at Sesame Street and said, hey, you know, do you think this is something you guys would be interested in? And she forwarded us on to the, uh, you know, the head of PR there, and we thought, well, we're never gonna hear back from them. Uh, I think within a day, we got an email back saying, oh, we love this idea. You should come in to meet Carol. And so uh, we went a week later and met Carol and his wife, Deb, and Oscar the Grouch, who also attended the meeting.
0: <laughs> it's a classic show business, good cop, bad cop situation. You know, you have the talent gets to be nice, and then you bring in Oscar the Grouch to be the heavy.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was absolutely insane to be sitting in that room and have Carol, during the meeting, just sit down, reach into his duffel bag and pull out Oscar the Grouch. And Oscar comes to life. It's not like it's not like there's a puppet there. It's like there's another person. And Oscar, without making any sort of formal introduction, is just alive and looking and blinking and... Um, you know, Chad starts to tell the story about his wife having a gluten allergy because Carol has a gluten allergy, and Oscar hasn't said anything to this point. And all of a sudden, he just goes boring and cuts Chad off. And uh, <laughs> at that point, we, we thought we were in good shape. <laughs> what
0: was Big Bird like when Big Bird was created? Ah, uh, he was the ugliest
1: looking thing I ever saw. It was built around <laughs> me, and it didn't exist when I, I saw they they said I went in for measurements, and they tried uh, seeing. Uh, how they would build it and they had never built anything quite like that before. Although it was something that Jim had always wanted to build. A really silly and uh, funny uh, bird sort of and his I, when it was being built around me I said I should get to know more what I'm going to be playing what he's going to be like. He said well think of uh, Mortimer for Snerd. he's kind of a oh, hi there Mr. Bergen Edgar Bergen's character one of his many characters or three characters. He uh, so uh, uh, that's how he started.
0: Let's take a listen to Big Bird from the first season of Sesame Street. And you can't see Big Bird, but he looks like Big Bird, but not like Big Bird. It is very disconcerting. Very much so. Yeah. Oh,
2: Whoa. that is some kind of word. Whoa to Jekyllmonopquistuixis It's the most remarkable word I've ever seen Abkadefke Wixes. I wish I knew exactly what I mean It starts out like an A word, as anyone can see But somewhere in the middle, it gets awfully queer to me Abkadefke Wixes. If I ever find out just what this word can mean I'll be the smartest bird the world has ever seen uh, maybe Gordon would see I don't
1: think I sound like that anymore.
0: <laughs> when did you find the the heart of Big bird that I think we all of us who know and love Big bird know now, which is this feeling of uh, of a child looking out at the world.
1: Well, I think it came from uh, the—at uh, first, we used other songs that had been written, uh, like uh, Octopus Garden and things like that. It, and it was the writers who wrote stories. And, I realized, and they, they were poignant stories that Big Bird would always tried to be helpful and wanted to be liked. But uh, uh, he would run into dramatic situations. And gradually, I uh, we, we had uh, come upon a point where I said, I think he shouldn't be just a big, goofy guy. He should be a kid. Even though he's eight feet two, because the kids come in different sizes, he he kind of developed as he lived his stories, which were so beautifully written. Because we had a really fabulous group of writers at one point, there were seventeen of them when we were making one hundred and thirty new shows every week, every year. So uh, I think his character kind of grew into
0: what he is. Dave, do you remember what? Big Bird meant to you when you were the age that you watched Sesame Street?
2: You know, it's funny. I didn't until we went back on set the first day and saw Big Bird. And all of a sudden, there's just this wave of emotion that ro- rolls over you. I mean, it just, you don't really think about Big Bird means to you. He's just there. He's just your friend. He's just someone that you identify with. And And so I think for, you know, at least for all of us on the team that made the film, there was, at some point, an episode or a skit that you know—it's like that moment in Ratatouille where you you go right back to your childhood. And for me, it was a lot of the stuff with Big Bird in China. And it, uh, I remember Big Bird feeling so lost in that film, and I remember as a child really identifying with that. And and I don't know—it's just having someone to identify with and see on screen go through what you go through as a child. I, I guess for me, he was just—I don't know—a friend.
0: You know, I I watched Sesame Street as a small child, and I was born in 1981, um, and, and then I am now watching it with my son, who's two. And every t- each time as I've returned to the show, that feeling of recognition of Big Bird as being your as being you on screen, the best part of you on screen you know, maybe not the most sophisticated part of you on screen, but the part of you that, you know, wants to understand the world and be kind is so powerful. Like just such an overwhelming feeling.
2: Yeah. You know, Sonia Manzano in the film, who plays Maria, um, says that she always preferred Big Bird because he's complicated emotionally, like, like a kid is. And, um, to just have that to identify with. I'm having the same thing. I was born in 1980 and I have a, a son who'll be two in August and we took him to see a stage show and just to see Big Bird there even and, and how he interacts with kids and seeing my son go through it now. Uh, it's remarkable. It's still the same. It still has the same effect. We may have felt like we outgrew it, but once you're back into it, it's, it's right there. It's the same emotions.
0: Carol, can you tell me a little bit about how you physically inhabit the big bird costume well it's uh it's funny it's rather low tech mostly
1: uh I it, it I put on the bird feet the leggings uh used to be a, a kind of a strap that reach up a, onto a belt I'd strap around me and wear shorts and uh the feet are attached to the
0: legs but then I, they, I liked seeing I liked seeing an actual like you strapping on an actual belt to hold <laughs> up
1: your leg pants. Right. Well, uh, then they made it more practical. They made it like a
0: more like a hip boots where you put on
1: you know pants that are made of rubber in those that case and the uh, feet are attached just like hip boots. But uh, this now – it's all orange fleece and uh, with those pink striped circles around his legs. Then the rest of it is a all put together one piece, and my assistant picks it up by the lower beak and a tab that you can't see, which is hidden in the feathers, yellow cloth. She can pick it up, and it's made of a series of hoops getting wider to make his size, and smaller as it goes up the neck. I, sta- I lean over, and they uh, slide him over me. I reach up ahead and put my hand in, uh, in his head and, and wiggle my fingers into place to get the control so my little finger will move the eyes. I've learned since I have a monitor inside to study, I look down and study his face, uh, how to angle him to show for either joy or, or, or worry or, or angst. My left hand goes into the left arm, and the right one can move up and down because of a fishing line and a seesaw movement, but it can't grab anything like my left hand. Any props I use have to be picked up by my left hand. And stuff.
0: You'll hear the rest of my conversation with Carol Spinney and Dave LaMettina after a break. Stay with us. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Colette Travel. On their small group explorations tours, you'll go deeper into a destination with an average of 15 travelers. Stay in a Tuscan villa or embark on an African safari. Combined with Colette's industry-leading tour managers, authentic cuisine, and 102 years of guided travel expertise, you can trust that the perfect travel experience is here for you. Visit colette.com NPR or call 855-212-2045. Did you get a smart speaker for a gift over the holidays? Well, consider it the gift that keeps on giving, right? Because it can help you keep up with the news. Just say play NPR to hear your local NPR station and all your favorite NPR shows as well. Hey, it's Jesse. The year is drawing to a close. And remember that now is the perfect time to give to your local NPR member station. You can make a difference in your community. Keep public radio going by giving at donate.npr.org bullseye. Again, that's donate.npr.org bullseye. And thanks.
2: Hey, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. Together we're The Flophouse. A podcast where we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. Movies like Space Hobos, Into the Outer Reaches of the Unknown and the Things That We Don't Know, the movie, and also Who's That Grandma? Zazzle
1: Zippers,
2: Breakdown 2,
1: and Backhanded Compliment. Elvis is a Policeman. Baby Crocodile and the Happy Twins. Leftover Potatoes? Station Wagon
2: 3. Herbie Goes to Hell. New episodes available every other Saturday. Available at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Bye. Bye! Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. This week, we're looking back on Bullseye guests we lost in 2019. Right now, we're listening to my conversation with Carol Spinney, who died in December. For over 50 years, he played Big Bird on Sesame Street. He was the subject of the 2014 documentary, I Am Big Bird. Dave Lamatina the film director, is also in on the conversation. Are you ever, when you're in the costume, especially now and recently, um, worried about just simply put your safety?
1: Uh, Well, I don't think there's generally much danger, although I did have some very dangerous moments when uh, one time a Klieg light missed me by 18 inches.
0: Weighed over 100 pounds. Because you have to walk around only, and your only reference is a view through the camera's eyes. You can't see out of the costume. No, right? I can't. But uh, and it used to be the television wires going to
1: the uh, TV sets was like an inch and a half thick as big, big cable. Now it's just the size of a regular little cable. So that's not quite so dangerous. But those are a real tripper. And I have fallen down a few times. I've fallen off a few stages. One quite a fall, one of them, in Guam.
0: I guess what I mean is that, you know, without being indelicate, while by all appearances you seem to be a really healthy dude, you're also an eighty-year-old man. Yeah, for whom, if you, you know, if you fell and whatever things happen right you break yeah. your hip and get a blood clot and die yeah well i guess everybody has that problem when they reach 80 too uh, also but
1: uh but not everyone uh, has the problem of uh, walking, walking around in a giant yellow suit yeah. right <laughs> and you have to walk confidently and I, I try to study everything that's around me and my assistant uh, lars um I'll, I'll have her aim me because i can't See, we have a little. We can remove a feather or two, but now we're in HD. You can't do that. You can even see that little spot. There's a feather missing. Everything shows, but it, there's some danger. One time, that same klieg light smashed to pieces, and it was had, it had been lit. So a big burning chunk of asbestos, and of course, I didn't think it burned, but it was like a glowing coal. It landed in one of those uh, fluffy rings of uh, pink on around his legs and set the, the the cloth that they had used to make it was highly flammable, turned out. And suddenly, i looking down inside, and I said, I said, it suddenly feels hot. I looked down, I see nothing, orange flame, and they were still getting long enough to go up inside the suit. And I was like, uh, oh my God. I said, hey, I'm on fire. And uh, I said, oh, people were just looking, worrying about, because I almost gotten hit. It was only a matter of seconds between the hit and me being on fire. And one of the cameramen, I'll give his name, Richie King. He he saved my life. because he went over and he patted the flame out with his hands. So I almost burned to death at the same time I was being crushed to death. I
0: I want to play a clip that you share in the movie, uh, Dave, that I it was something that I hadn't thought about um, since I was a toddler, I guess, or hadn't seen since I was a toddler. And... um, that is the show that came after uh, the passing of the character mr hooper um which was precipitated by the passing of the, the man who played him and you know mr hooper's store was sort of the center of sesame street and there was really a lot of question as to how how to address that this had happened and big bird turned out to be at the center of it um let's take a listen big bird Mr Hooper's not coming back. Why not? Big Bird, when when people die, they don't come
2: back. Ever? No, never. Well, why not? Well, Big Bird uh, they're dead. They, they can't come back.
1: Well, she's gotta come back! Why, who's gonna take care of the store? And who's gonna make my birds eat milkshakes and, and tell me
0: stories? Big Bird,
2: uh, I'm gonna take care of the store. Mr. Hooper, he left it to me. And I'll make you your milkshakes and and we'll all tell you stories and sure, we'll look. make sure you're okay.
0: Sure, we'll look after you. Oh. I mean, it's hard for me to listen to even now. <laughs>
1: I'm starting to cry myself.
0: <laughs> what was it like when you got that? When you when they handed you that script? Well, uh, I I was
1: wondering because one of our funniest writers was the one who wrote it. It was a head writer at that time. It, fabulous Norman Stiles. I thought it was probably the greatest script I'd ever seen come down to us to use, and I thought it was beautifully done because. The question was, do you tell four-year-olds about people dying? And uh, they thought he could just, we'd just say, well, Mr. Hooper has retired in Florida. you know. But well, that was just an easy way out. They, so they did some research and said, we think we can do this. And I think they did a great job. It, I think it would be a good service to have that as a video to show children who've lost their grandparent or something. But uh, anyway, it really was, I think, beautifully done. One of the finest things we ever did.
0: Dave, do you remember? Do you remember when that happened? You know,
2: it's funny. I I don't remember watching that episode as a child. Um, I don't know if it was happened at a time when I was either too young or too old, but I don't remember watching it as a child. So the first time I watched it was when we dug back into for this film. Um, and as a filmmaker, from that perspective, it's really hard to tell that story because you can't improve on the genius that is Norman Styles and Carol and the cast and John Stone who directed that episode. It was it was perfect. But you need to tell the story. Um and that's one of those scenes that, you know, Chad who also edits the film put together and, and we watched it on the first try. I mean, I was actually happened to be on a train on the way to go to the funeral of my best friend from childhood. And um it was like I was watching it for the first time because I you know, I'm sitting on the train crying. And uh, yeah, it's just such a wonderful, wonderful performance that even though I don't remember it from childhood, it still struck me the same way all these years later, which is you know, a testament to all the people that were involved in that episode.
0: Dave, what's the thing that you saw in Carol that you saw reflected in Big Bird that made you want to make a feature documentary?
2: Love. Um, just the love that radiates from Carol and his wife, Deb, is remarkable. It's intoxicating to be around. Um, it makes things a little bit brighter, I think, for all of us that have been a part of this film. Uh, and I, I think that it has uh, made us live our lives a little bit differently. Just knowing, getting to know Carol. I mean, remove Big Beard from the equation. Uh, we said to someone the other day, you know, well, a, a lot of times now we we approach a situation. You know, we get a lot of fan mail directed to Carol. Um, and a lot of it takes a lot of time for us to respond to or to, to share things with but we do it because our, our sort of way we approach things now is well how would Carol and Deb do this that love is so intertwined with big bird you know you can't you can't separate it that's what makes big bird and someone says that in the film that's what makes big bird who he is and so that is something that we were really um, amazed to discover when we when we jumped into this project um, and I'm really happy that we feel like we captured it in the film when I started watching Sesame
0: Street with my son uh, who's a toddler, and I was reminded of how deep that um, how deep that well of love that seemed to come out of that show was um, and s- still does come out of that show. I wonder if that's part of what has kept you Carol so deeply tied to this world for for forty five years
1: well i i i Kind of encouraged by the fact an awful lot of artists of performance or 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 paint um, do seem to have a long life and it's perhaps it's because there's a lot of purpose in life for them and it's not uh, hasn't become boring and uh, I, my hero is uh, uh, senior Wences you remember it's all right it's all right you know and he did funny things on Ed Sullivan of course that's way before your time but uh, still sometimes you'd see his stuff. He performed on the very last day he lived on stage in Madrid where he's really from. And uh, it was a basically half puppet act and a, mostly a ventriloquist but without a traditional ventriloquist dummy. He'd draw a face on his hand and use his thumb folded as a as the lower jaw and uh, talk to Jan. Well he performed on the last day of his life. He went home and went to bed and he that was what he he didn't get up. But it's kind of a nice way to go since he was 102. And uh, so he's my great hero. I'd love to emulate him. And uh, I don't know if I'll be that lucky. I, I feel 80 is definitely feels older than 79. So, uh, But I, I'm very optimistic. And optimism, I think, is, a, is one of the things that is good to live on.
0: Well, Dave Carroll, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Bullseye. It was really great to get to talk to you.
1: Well, I love NPR, and uh, thanks for asking to be on. Thanks for having us. And, Carol, thank you thank you for all the work that you've done. Thank you very much, Jess. (laughs) I didn't notice you were here, Big Bird. You used to take take up a lot more room.
0: (laughs) Carol Spinney and Dave LaMettina. Dave's documentary about Carol is really great. It's called I Am Big Bird, The Carol Spinney Story. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters overlooking MacArthur Park in beautiful Los Angeles, California, where the other day, Anderson Pock played a concert. Hey, Anderson Pock, come on Bullseye, please. We want to have you. Invitation is open show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio is our associate producer. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our production fellows are Jordan Cowling and Melissa Duenas. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team, thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. And we have been doing this show for almost two decades now. Uh, when someone who has been on the show passes away, it's a reminder that I've, I've been doing this a very long time. Uh, you can find almost all of our archives on our website at MaximumFun.org. You can also find many of them in your favorite podcast app or uh, on Facebook or YouTube. One guest who passed away who I really loved talking to, I, I, I had him on the show twice, uh, was Harvey Picard, the creator of the comic American Splendor, which is one of my favorite works of American literature, and uh, Harvey Picard was everything you would hope you could find in a grumpy uncle, uh, a wonderful, brilliant man and a great interview subject. I talked to him by phone a couple of times back when I was producing the show out of Santa Cruz. And you can find those interviews on our website at MaximumFun.org. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign off.
2: Bullseye with Jesse
1: Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.